We are going to do Matthew 28, regardless of the weather. So grab your Bible. Last chapter in Matthew. Verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Once you have turned there, would you stand up as we give reverence to the reading of the very Word of God? Matthew 28, 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which God had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, we thank you for this commission, but much more we thank you for your mission, your redemption, your example, your revelation of God. We thank you that we can learn and be transformed and conformed to that same image. So, each of us asks this morning that you would speak, that we would respond in a way that transforms our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So I want you to take a second and try to complete this simple sentence. Church is people. Good answer. Fellowship. I just got blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Could be that too. A privilege. The bride, good. The body of Christ, excellent. I'll go the other side. Church is boring. <laughs> Church is full of hypocrites. Church is a bunch of rules, right? It's a very important question to me. Like we answer all these other questions in life that we're involved in and, and we think are important. Like if I was to say work is... Most of us, the answer would be work is where I get a paycheck. Because there's very few of us that would be like, you know what? I will come and file papers for free. <laughs> Call me crazy. I love filing papers. Can I do that for you? I'll just come here and, and put stuff away for you. No. I and mean, there's fulfillment to it and all that. But we kind of know why we work. 
In our homes, like homes, we, most of us can say, well, my home is like, you know, where I, I go and I, it's a refuge or a home is where I really carry out the commands of Jesus. Like love your neighbor as yourself. That's where you do it. And everybody has that neighbor, right? Everybody has the neighbor that built their shed on your side, that cleans up their dog poop by throwing it on your yard. Like every, I don't know how they do it, but they're all, all of us have that neighbor. So it's where we get to carry out the commands of Jesus. So we kind of know where these things is, but then church, church, like what is church? Some people think it's a building. For us, we don't because we don't have a building. Helps us right there. Because ecclesia, the Greek word never refers to a building. It's always people. So what is church? So here's where we're at. Jesus now, end of the gospel of Matthew. And, and I thought about teaching Matthew, like, here's my goal. I wanted Jesus to be bigger for us. Because I think we all try to seal him in a tomb. Like, that's kind of what we do. Like, this is what Jesus is. And he, and he kind of stays that way. And it takes almost rereading his story and rereading the, the people that walked with him and talked with him and knew him to realize, wow, he's a lot bigger. That's been my hope. Like, Jesus gets bigger and he has for me. He just got bigger. So Jesus now gives his last lecture, Matthew 28, which is the best chapter. Wednesday, we'll study it. Brilliant chapter, best chapter. And in it, he meets these 11 disciples and he gives this lecture. And I think he defines, this is church. Church is. And I think it's three things. You gotta pick a little bit at this, but I see church is, it's three things. It's a kingdom, it's a community, and it's a temple. And those three things, if you understand them, then you look at church the way Jesus wants us to, okay? So are you ready? First, church is a kingdom. Listen to what Jesus says, how he begins this. All authority in heaven and earth. How much authority is that? That's a lot, right? That's as much as there is. All authority in heaven, up there, and here, earth, down here. That's all. Has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. All right? Jesus here, last lecture, saying this. I'm the king of this kingdom. Jesus rarely used the word church a couple times. Hundreds of times in the gospels, he uses the term, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. In fact, he begins the gospel of Matthew in his very first preached message. It's in Matthew 4, 17. You know what it is? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. So that's how he begins. Last message is, it's here and I'm the king. It began back there, or it was at hand rather back then, but now it is right here and I'm the king. Go and make other people, other citizens. Church is a kingdom where Jesus is king. So it brings up two questions then for me. What's the king's rule? How does he rule? And what's the citizen's role? What do I do then? All right? So first, the king's rule. We're Americans, right? America. America was born on what? We will not have a king. 
Read the Founding Fathers. That was their message. We're going to put together a document that prevents there ever being a king because we don't like that king over there. He's a bad dude. He tried to sell us tea and it was expensive. So we hate him. <laughs> That's such a warped view of history I just gave you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not really. So we're not having him, right? That's, that's, so in America, we push back against kings. Kings are bad. So you can have that same kind of idea like, king? What if I want a king? Right? So let me define for you how Jesus defines his kingdom. It's Hebrews 1.8. And it says this, speaking of Jesus, his scepter is righteousness. You know what a scepter is, right? That funny thing kings hold? So what is he saying there? Well, here's what he's saying. The scepter, it means something. It represents something. It's like this. Here's my best illustration. A bunch of years ago, we're camping family camp, and we camp right next to Ryan and Megan Baker. And my kids adore Megan. So they show up, and they're unpacking. My three-year-old daughter at that time, Gabrielle, goes running over there and wants to help Megan. So Megan's unpacking these utensils from this, this box, and she's handing them to Gabrielle, and she's asking Gabrielle, what's this? And so Gabrielle's like, that's a spatula. Sets it down. And then she pulls another one. What's that? That's a fork. She sets it down. And then she pulls out this 12-inch wooden spoon, hands it to Gabrielle. What's this? Gabrielle said, that's a spanking. I looked at her and said, no, it's not. You. <laughs> it represents something, right? It's not a wooden spoon. It's, it, it's bigger. So the scepter of the king represents the way he rules. It has a representation. So the way Jesus is going to rule, he's going to take all the power of heaven and earth, all this power, and he's not going to use it for himself to get stuff, to be master, to subjugate people. He's going to use it for righteousness. That's what we all want. Do you know that? Every one of us, in our heart of hearts, we want a righteous rule. It's why for all my TV days, there's always been these shows on that are about lawyers and judges and policemen. Do you know why? You know why we watch those? Because all of us, deep in our hearts, we want righteousness. We want right rule. I think about CSI. How many CSIs were there? It was crazy. CSI New York, CSI Washington, D.C., CSI Miami, CSI Seattle, CSI LA. There was a CSI Merlin coming. It was close. It was right there. Why? Because all of us want righteousness. We want a rule that's right, right? This election year, I'm not so hopeful. <laughs> I'm writing in King Jesus. Thank you very much. King Jesus. All of us want righteousness. Jesus, the king, brings a kingdom, and he says, my scepter is one of righteousness. That's what the king's going to do. And when we, when we come into this kingdom, we can actually have that right rule in our lives right now. We can, we can enjoy that. Right? So then we come to the, another part of it. We have these citizens in the kingdom, you and me. What's our role? What are we supposed to be doing? In Matthew, we've seen, Jesus kind of hints at it. In his first message, he says, I want you guys to be like a city set on a hill. He says, I want you guys to be light. I want you to be salt. I want you to live in such a way that people look at you and they're like, hey, 
That's a right way to live. Hey, that's a seasoned, cool. Hey, that's bright. That's not dark. Okay, that's been God's will for his people all along. So when God created Adam and Eve, he said, they're my image bearers. That meant, I want you guys to look like my righteous rule down there. You're supposed to do that. They didn't do it. So then God grabs this nation, Abraham's kids. We call them Israel. Brings them out of slavery. And then in Deuteronomy 4, he says this to them. He says, here's what I want you to be. I want you guys to live in rightness with me so that all the nations around will look at you and say, that is awesome. That's what happens when you serve Yahweh. We want to serve Yahweh too then. They were to be this city, salt, light, same thing you and I are to be living. So what that means is this. We have an allegiance to a different king and kingdom. And it's thicker and better. I'll give you some examples. The law of the land says this. Don't steal. The way of the kingdom, what does it say? It's Ephesians 4.28. It says, let him who stole steal no more. Rather, let him work honestly so that he might have something to give. Is that better? Oh, I like that much better. Say the negative, don't steal, you stealer. No, be transformed. Live in a kingdom where you start to look at everything differently and you work hard not to get more, which is stealing, It's not about getting more. It's how can I become a generous kind of person? That's the way of the kingdom. The the law says, be nice to those people that are nice to you. The way of the kingdom is love your enemies. Is that better? Oh, I think so. The, The law of the land is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The way of the kingdom is If someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Wow. The the law of the land is get more. The way of the kingdom is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I can go on and on and on and on. The, The law of the land is be a master so that people will serve you. The way of the kingdom is, the master is the best servant you've got right? It's the way of the kingdom. It's so radically different. And the whole thing is God's saying, I want you to live in this way, this right kind of way of living. And it's going to demonstrate to people like, hey, that's better. Hey. So the kingdom is supposed to invade everything. The way I view sex, the way I view money, the way I view my neighbors, the way I view you, the way I view driving. It's supposed to invade every single aspect of my life so that I look very differently. So for me, a big one for me has been just a verse in the Bible, 2 Timothy 2.24. And it's really simple. It says this, the servant of the Lord must be kind, which for me and my personality, I can be like the law so often. And sometimes something has happened where I'm like, that's it. I am, I'm bringing the law down. And very often I'll be reminded the servant of the Lord must be kind. Oh, right. I forgot. Okay? That's what it does. It's the king is supposed to transform the way I view the world because I'm looking at it as his kingdom. And people that want to do evangelism, 
I always share this to them. Yeah, the great commission. We're supposed to do this. Hey, great commission. I always share this with them. Hold, hold on. Time out. Let me ask you this question before you go sharing about Jesus. Would anyone want your life? The way that you live, the way that you do things, the way that you're to your neighbors, you can go share over there if you want, yeah, but fundamentally, would anyone want your life? Because we're supposed to be so invaded by the kingdom that other people say, that is salt and that is beautiful and I want that life. That's the best witnessing tool ever, that I belong to a different kingdom and it has fundamentally transformed me that I am a sneak preview of this coming kingdom that one day is going to invade and that we will rule and reign forever. Well, Matt, why should I do that? Why should I work to give? Why shouldn't I get revenge? Why should I do any of this stuff? Why shouldn't I have people serve me? It feels good. Here's why. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, The Bible says this, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Do you want righteousness? Just right kind of living, like this is right. Do you want peace? Often the word in the Hebrew is shalom. It means just things work. You want shalom? That inner kind of, ah, I'm good. Do you want joy? Joy is simple, right? Then then you want the kingdom. That's what you want because those come with the king and his kingdom. Is anyone here saying, no, I don't want those? You know, actually, I'd like evil, fighting, and depression. Can I have those three? Well, the kingdom of Matt, that's what I get. The kingdom of Jesus, righteousness, peace, and joy. And I'll repeat this over and over and over again because I found it so true. The biggest enemy to my peace and joy, it's not my neighbor with all of his problems. It's not my coworker, not my spouse, not my kids. You know the biggest enemy to my joy and peace? You know who it is? Me. I am. We are. When I make the world about my kingdom and about me and everything that's to serve me, that is a recipe for absolute fighting, no shalom, and no joy. You're going to have a terrible marriage. You'll end up with talking with me in my counseling office. That's what's going to happen to you. You'll hate driving, right? Because if driving is about you, then guess what? Everyone's in your way. What is wrong with these morons? Come on, get out of my way, (laughs) right? My kingdom. Don't they know I'm late? If you would have left five minutes earlier, you would not be late. It's not that person's fault. Leave earlier. But when it's about me, that's just what happens. When you get the kingdom and you become a citizen, all this stuff just goes away. It just fades. You become set free, right? How will I know when I'm living in the kingdom? You will know when you can't get it out of a four-way stop. No, you first. No, you first. Ah, no, you first. You're there for like a half an hour because it doesn't, it's not about you. (laughs) And everyone behind you hates you. (laughs) The role that you and I play in this is we're back to Adam and Eve. We're image bearers. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the king's rule looks like. It has pervaded every part of my life. So it's a kingdom. Church is a kingdom. We're a colony now, an outpost of this kingdom. Number two, it's a community. Read what he says next. 
Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's number two. This community of disciples and the way that the disciples are made is two ways. Baptism and teaching. That's the way the disciple is made. Baptism to me is a funny way to enter into a community, right? Like baptism is where you say, I am identifying myself with this king who has given everything for me and this community that he's forming. That's not the normal way of identifying with the community. Okay, I'll give you an example, for instance. Let's say you decide to take up tennis. Probably a bad time right now. April's better. But let's say you do. I'm going to take up tennis. What is, what's the first thing you're going to do? Buy a tennis racket, right? And if you're like normal men, if you're a guy, what are we going to do? We're going to buy the best racket we can, right? Kevlar strings, carbon fiber, just you name it. Like we're going to spend $1,000 on something we've never done before because you know what? I'm going to do it well. I'm going to show these people tennis is easy. So you buy the racket, you buy the court shoes, you buy some tall white socks, you buy some white shorts. If you're a guy that show way too much of your upper thigh, like it's embarrassing, please don't. A white shirt with a little dude or a little something etched into the pocket, right? Then you're in. And what you're saying to everybody is, look, I belong. I've got the right clothes. I've got this racket. I've got all the right things. Look at me. I belong to you. You even change your lingo. You start talking like 30 love, deuce, right? So it, it, you can tell, oh, you belong into that. That's not the way you get into this community. You know what baptism is? I share those with every person I baptize. Romans 6, Romans 6 says this, you're crucified with Christ, that you're baptized into his death, right? You, you're dying, or Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. So I always say, listen, baptism is you dying. And then I grab that person and I plunge him under the water and I hold him there for a while. Just to really, some longer than others, like you need to die. And then I bring him out and I say this, 2 Corinthians 2, 17. Oh, man. The old has passed away and everything has become new. That, you, that you, you've come into this community, you came in this community through brokenness. You came into this community because you had made a mess of things and you needed to die and you needed to be resurrected into a new life. Isn't that a weird way to get into a community? Not buying the right clothes and saying the right thing and having the right equipment. It's the exact opposite. You got into the community because you are so messed up and broken. That's a radical way to start a new community. And when you get that, when you get all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you realize it's level ground. No one can think they're superior. Everybody knows I got in because I'm so messed up that I needed, I needed a resurrected life. It's awesome. Religion is the opposite. Religion is behave, wear the right clothes, buy the right racket, say the right words, and you're in. 
And religion will either lead to smugness. I've got the right clothes. I've said all the right words. I've got the right equipment. Yes. Or depression. Oh, I didn't wear the right clothes. Oh, that's a terrible racket. Oh, I said the wrong thing. But this community that Jesus built, what he's saying is this. You get in by baptism and it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be broken that we all got in because we are broken. There's no superiority, okay? I say this to people all the time. You know the only thing you contributed to your salvation? Do you know the one thing you contributed to your salvation? What is it? Sin. That's it. That's the only thing you contribute. The rest is grace. You and I got in because of brokenness. And when we allow that brokenness to then define why we got in, then it allows me to say to people, I'm broken too. I get it. I'm broken. I was reminded of this yesterday. So I, I um, was out shopping a bit and saw somebody kind of looking at me like, hey. So I, hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, we go to church. Oh, okay. Good to meet you. So we get to talking and this guy said this. He said, I still remember a story you told. It was about your daughter, Gabrielle, when she was eight months old and you went to check on the swimming pool and you forgot about her for a second. And while you weren't looking, she crawled into the swimming pool and got underneath the blanket and you didn't know where she went. You remember when I shared that story? Yeah, okay. People tell me you should not share that story. Like that's too honest. Don't share that story. Here's what I always tell them. You would not believe the number of men who've come to me and said this, Matt, I did the exact same thing. The only difference is I never told anybody. So I say, you did now and you owe me one. <laughs> it's that honesty that allowed, that's what this guy said to me, man, me too. It's being honest that allows people to say, you too? Oh man, baptism is supposed to do that for this community. You too? Oh, me too. That we got in through brokenness. But the brilliant thing about God is this, he writes straight with broken lines. We trust him. We trust the king. You'll take my brokenness and your brokenness and he'll write straight with it. So Galatians 6 says, when you do this right, you bear each other's burdens and you walk forward and you fulfill the very law of Christ. The highest you can fulfill is this bearing, this, this community, this, hey, we got in through brokenness. I have a saying, I have it written down. You can either be perfect and admired or real and loved, but you can't be both. If you're going to put out that you're perfect, you're going to have to keep everybody at arm's length and never allow anyone to know you because the moment they do, they'll realize you're not perfect. Or you can be real and you can be loved. And that's what we all want much better. So Jesus says, I'm building a, 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 a community based on baptism, that your entrance is the fact that you're not okay. So everybody's fine with that. And then secondly, Jesus says, but I don't want you to stay in your brokenness. I want to bring you forward. So the second part of this community is built on teaching. But notice what we're supposed to teach. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Churches go sideways when they forget that little I in there. And it becomes about what they command and what they want. We all get sideways on that. The key to this community is the teachings of Jesus. 
Now, what were Jesus' commands? He gave two of them. It's in Matthew 22. Exactly. This man comes to him and says, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that is the Old Testament hangs on these two. Whoa. That's radical. No matter how do you love God? I think 1 John 4.19 is the key. It says we love him because he first loved us. And throughout the Bible, there's this theme like it's over and over. Keep yourself in God's love. Keep reminding yourself God loves you. Because the more you know, the more you value his love, right? It's like, um, I shared this a long time ago. Sunglass, remember the sunglass story? Guy gave me some sunglasses. Nobody, okay. So there's a period in my life where um, I stopped buying nice sunglasses because I had little kids. And what do little kids like to do with sunglasses? They, they like to open them, right? So Ray-Bans become trash cans. And that had happened to me enough, I just said, okay, I'm done with that. I went to the dollar store and I bought 10 pairs for 10 bucks. And so I didn't care if they opened them up. Just open them up you all, all you want. I'll just get another pair. All right, well, during this season, this buddy of mine, he, gave, he probably saw me wearing those. He's like, oh my goodness, those are terrible. So he gives me a pair of sunglasses, but I don't even know what they are. So I'm like, hey, thanks. And I throw them into my truck and um, I'm out and about one day and I, and I didn't have sunglasses, so I put them on. And I'm like, wow, these are like super clear. These are much better than $1 glasses. And, and I took them off and they said titanium on the side of them. Now I know titanium is expensive. So I wrote down on my notepad, like the, the model number and I put them in my truck. And a couple days later, I'm at the computer. I thought, I'll Google what those sunglasses are to find out how much they cost. I Google them, $270. I was like, kids, do you have my sunglasses? Where are they at? Give them to me, right? I grabbed them and I protected them. And 10 years later, I still have those sunglasses. Why? Because I found out how valuable those glasses are. The more you learn of God's love, the more you see how valuable it is, and the more you treasure it, and the more you begin to love him. When you find out, he loved me when I was an absolute broken sinner. Yeah, Romans 5, 6. 5, 8, excuse me. He, he, he's got plans for me. Yeah, exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. Whoa, I'm his workmanship. Yes, you are his poem, literally, in the Greek. You're his poetry. Whoa. The more you know of God's love, the more you value it and the more you respond in love. It's how we're hardwired. How do we love people? That's easy. It's back to the community. Realizing, man, I'm broken. I was brought in through baptism. They were too. And now I have empathy for them. I understand them. And I can actually know them. If you are not honest in a relationship, you never know if people really like you. You're not sure if they like the image you portray, the Instagram you portray, or if they like the real you. And so there's always this kind of tension about, well, you know, what should I allow them to know? What, what shouldn't I allow them to know? Because you're never authentic and you can never really love people. The gospel cures that. Yeah, we were baptized. The fact that I needed salvation was because I was broken. Now I receive that just like you do. Do you know how much you need community? You totally need it. 
So on Tuesday, I went to this meeting. It's called the Blue Zone Project for Oregon. Do you guys know the Blue Zones? Okay. I'll tell you what the Blue Zones are. Uh, 2011, there was this documentary on National Geographic about these areas. There's five of them around the world where people live to be 100 years old. I think that's normal. And so these guys said, we need to figure out why this is. So they started studying these five places, Loma Linda, California, Okinawa, Japan, um, Sardinia, Italy, two more. So they started like, what are the common factors that lead to this longevity in these people? And they found these nine kind of metrics, all right? So long story short, they're now saying, well, can we, because of what we learned, can we kind of apply that to other communities? And so Oregon has this idea to do it here and Grants Pass is one of seven semifinalists. So I went there to, to represent the faith-based community and kind of give my input. And I think it's a really cool idea. So I'm there and Dan Butner, the guy that did the National Geographic study and documentary was there and he was talking and he said something that fascinated me. He said, when you look at health, the health index of what makes us healthy, he said, loneliness is equivalent to smoking 20 cigarettes a day. I was shocked. I shouldn't have been because we have Genesis 2 where God looks at Adam when he's alone and what does God say? Bro, that's like smoking 20 cigarettes a day. I can get you a wife. That's in my heavenly version, by the way. <laughs> it's a little modified, right? It's not good. <laughs> but then he said this. In the past two decades, here's what we found. In 1996, the average adult had three close friendships. Today, the average adult has one and a half. I don't know how you get a half friendship, but somehow you do. <laughs> He's kind of a friend. <laughs> half of, I'll just call him a half friend. And they say, when you get under three, you are termed lonely. The average person now in America is lonely. And it's like smoking 20 cigarettes a day. We need desperately long for community. So we're, we, we've been really looking at this as a staff, trying to figure out how do we do community groups better? So we're going to be launching those in a couple weeks. And if you're saying, I need community, well, that's because you're designed for it. So we're going to try to help fill that in for you. And Jesus says, that's what I came to do. So you, you, you love God and you love people. You're in this community that brings just health and vitality, flourishing. Church is to be a community built on baptism and teaching. And then lastly, and I almost changed my message to only being this because it's massive. Church is a temple. Look at what Jesus says. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's Jesus saying there? What was a temple to somebody that lived a long time ago when there were temples? It was the place that you went to get into God's presence. That's what you did. You went to the temple. It was the, the place where the veil between heaven and earth grew thin and God's presence was there. That's a temple. So a temple goes from Genesis, I believe, all the way to Revelation. It is the big theme of the Bible. I think the Garden of Eden is a temple. So you've got earth, You've got Eden, and then Eden, there's this very special spot called the garden. And it was in the garden that God met with man. What is that a picture of? It's a temple. The temple has a court, has a holy place, and a holy of holies where God meets with man. 
It was the beginning. It was, I want a temple, a place where I can meet with my people. And the temple goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation 22. What did Jesus say right here? Now you guys, plural, 11 guys, you're my temple. I'm with you. Not a building. Not something you have to do. You come in through baptism. You're my disciple. And you become my very temple. And it's something Jesus has been talking about. Matthew 18, he says this, listen, as a church, when you come together where two or more are gathered, I'm with you. You're my temple. Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where he says, listen, church, you guys have messed some things up, like all churches do. But listen, here's my goal for you, that when a stranger comes into your midst, they leave by saying of a truth, God is in this place. This is a temple. When you guys are here, this becomes a temple. And it's always plural never singular. It's when you're gathered, when you're together, you are my temple. Hebrews 2 verse 12 says this, that when we sing plural, guess who sings with us? Jesus. That's crazy to me. He's with us, joining in our song. The Old Testament says that God, Yahweh, is enthroned on the praises of God's people, of a truth God's in this place. That's my greatest prayer for this place. Because that thing, that little point has transformed my life. All right, 2004, I was at a crossroads. Like, what am I gonna do? On one side, I'm, I'm in the business world and I'm really doing well there. I'm thriving, advancing, giving, getting more responsibility, more finances, There's just thriving on that side. But there's this tug in my heart, like, no, I'm called to do something else. And so on the other side, I'm ministering, I'm volunteering a bunch in church, and um, I really felt called to teach the Bible. And I'd taken over this Bible study. It was a Friday morning Bible, Friday noon Bible study at Pizza Hut. And when I took it over, it was like 20, 20, 15, 20, 25 people, like thriving. And I was kind of full of my own vinegar. And I thought, I'm going to blow this thing up. Like, we're, we're going to fill up Pizza Hut. No problem. And so I was given, just handed the keys of this Bible study, 20 guys showing up regularly. And so within four weeks, I'd taken that 20-person Bible study and built it up to four. That crushed me. <laughs> Took all the vinegar out of me. I'm like, oh my goodness. Right? It stayed, I was there for four years doing that Bible study. It stayed four to five people. Right? Humbling. Very humbling. So I'm here at this kind of, well, I'm thriving on this side. And over here, I'm killing it here. And I'm getting killed here. Let's just put it that way. So God, what do you want me to do? Should I just start really concentrating on business and, and working hard and being generous, which is a great aspect. No problem with that. I can do that. I mean, generous. I can work hard. I can do Ephesians 4.28. I can do that. And so I'm in church during worship. And I'm just singing. When, when there was like, and I've never heard an audible voice of God I mean, I've never had a bush on fire that's not being consumed and had like remove your feet. Never for me, okay? But there was like as strong of an impression as I can have was like, what do you want to do? And I kind of stopped, like, stop singing. And I thought, what do I want to do? I want to teach the Bible. And there came another super strong impression, then teach the Bible. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Within three weeks of that, a door opened and I was a pastor that fast. It, that fast it transformed. What, when? I was in the assembly of God's people, praising him. And that temple, God showed up. 
and spoke to me. And that's what I want for us. It's together, it's this thing, this gathering that happens. The thunder and lightning is here. It doesn't happen on a podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. That same thunder and lightning is not there because we're not gathered as his people. I think it's in this environment that you get Paul's prayer of Ephesians chapter three, verse 19, where he says, oh, that the love of Christ would surpass knowledge and you would be filled with the fullness of God. What's he saying there? I want you to be the temple, filled with the very fullness of God. I want Christ's love to jump over knowledge. How does that happen? How does love surpass knowledge? I'll tell you how. My mom, single mom, four kids, three very rambunctious boys that she often just didn't have a clue what to do with. And we exploited that all the time. This is good. So she put off for a long time having the birds and bees talk with us. She just didn't know how to do it. Until one day, up pulled the senior pastor of our church and he invited us out to to Dairy Queen to have some blizzards. So I'm okay, let's go. So we go there and, and order our blizzards and we sit down and we're like, and he goes, this is how he opened up to us. He goes, boys, there's coming a day when you will stop looking at girls and saying, ooh, cooties, and start saying, ooh, baby. <laughs> and it just got worse from there. I was just like, <laughs> right? <laughs> And I'm like, come on, dude, I know this. I'm 21 for crying out loud. (laughs) I was much younger, actually. So he gave me all the facts. And even though I had all the facts, all the knowledge, I was like, yuck, never, right? Cooties. So when did those facts jump over and become something more? When a five foot nine blonde, now a brunette, walked into my life. And I experienced love. And then all the facts that he told me, it just surpassed them because I experienced it. That's what Paul's asking for. Oh, that you might experience, you are the very temple, the fullness of God, that you might experience that, that you might walk in that, that he is the anchor of your soul, that he is the one that is closer than a brother. Oh, that you might experience that because when you do, you're transformed and you never look back. That's the biggest one. And we're a kingdom with a great king. And we're a community, and that's incredible. But here's the unbelievable part. You are now the temple of Jesus himself. I'm with you. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. Unbelievable. That's what church is. So maybe one of these things has resonated with you. Maybe it's the kingdom. And maybe for you, Jesus has not been king. It's been the kingdom of Matt or whatever your name is. And you're not living righteousness and you're not living peace and you're not living joy. You can come to this table and you can partake in his brokenness and the new covenant in his blood and say, relaunch me today. Relaunch me. Be my king. Or maybe it's community. Maybe you struggle with community. Maybe you've been hurt in community because a lot of people get hurt in community because we're broken and very often our brokenness bumps other people in their brokenness. So totally, I get that. But it doesn't mean you give up on it. It's Jesus helped me to do community better. 
because you came to put together community, so help me to do that better because I know I need it. So heal me in those parts where I'm really sensitive and help me in community. Or maybe it's the temple. Maybe you say, I've never experienced that. I've never experienced being full of the fullness of God. I've never experienced where love surpasses knowledge, where I'm just over flooded with the very love of Jesus. Maybe we say, I-, I need that. So you come to the temple with your brokenness and you say, Jesus, be my king, be my healer, be my fullness. And so Father, that's what we pray this day. We thank you for the unspeakable gift of your son. We thank you that we come hungry and needy, and you don't turn us away. So even now, I pray, Lord, as we partake in the Eucharist, the giving of thanks, may we be so thankful that you are our king, that you've created this community that we come in through baptism and we're transformed through looking to you and your teaching. May we give thanks that we have become the very temple, the very place where you want to be, where you want to move. And so I pray that we would eat strength and eat forgiveness and eat of the new covenant, that you would sprinkle us with clean water and we would be clean walking out from this place, knowing that we're kids of the king because of the crucified Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.